welcome to Focused on Life, where we'll be laser focused on all things that have to do with defending human dignity, human rights, and yes, human life at every stage and phase of development. I am your host, Uju. And I am your other host, Matt. And we are thrilled to be here today. Hello, Matt. Hi, Uju. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Uh, Just excited that we are having another episode. And this time around, it's going to be a wonderful episode. Like, I am so excited, man, because this is for us, this is podcasting is new, but even what we're doing today is also another new experience. And that is? We are having our first ever live interview with someone incredible and uh so yeah so we are at we're doing it we're doing our first interview Uju, this is we're doing this is, it this is exciting <laughs> stuff <laughs> you know this is exciting <laughs> when we when we first uh started talking about this podcast um yeah. i mean of course this was your vision your idea oh right? uh, what else right? matt <laughs> <laughs> thanks thanks for being humble just yes. here but behind the scenes you'd be like oh this was all my idea <laughs> No, no, no. In all seriousness, uh, let's just say 50-50, okay? We're 50-50. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, but we did talk about the idea of having, uh, bringing in some experts, some amazing people who we look up to and yeah. who uh, we think our viewers can learn a lot from. So we decided, okay, why don't we start doing interviews? So uh, here, here we are. We're going to officially have our first interview on Focused on Life. And he is an incredible guest. I mean, I am so proud that we were able to be able to get this interview as our first interview because this is this guy is totally high level. And because he's Canadian, Matt, I'll let you introduce him. That's right. All right. <laughs> so without further ado, uh, our first uh, guest, our first interview on Focus on Life is the one and only David Mulroney. David Mulroney has spent 32 years in the Canadian Foreign Service. He was Canada's ambassador to the People's Republic of China from 2009 to 2012. Uh, And he has a book about the Canada-China relations called Middle Power, Middle Kingdom, which won the J.W. Defoe Prize in 2016. Some of his other assignments include serving as associate deputy to the Minister of Foreign Affairs, as the Prime Minister's personal representative to the G8 Summit, as Deputy Minister of the Afghanistan Task Force, Guys, I'm I'm still going right now. There's a lot more. I'm not done yet. Uh, and after uh, David returned to Canada, he has served. He served from 2015 to 2018 as president and vice chancellor of the University of Saint Michael's College, uh, the Catholic University, federated with the University of Toronto. Uh, Mr. Mulroney is a distinguished senior fellow at the University of Toronto's Monk School of Global Affairs, and he has been married for over 40 years to his beautiful wife Janet. And they have three grown children. We're so grateful to have you here with us, David. And we are, in fact, we are incredibly grateful that you are our first guest on this podcast, Focused on Life. So welcome to Focused on Life podcast, David. It's a real pleasure, Uju. And thank you for that warm welcome. And Matt, um, I'm delighted to be with you on on what is a really important initiative. So congratulations to you, Uju, and, and, and to Matt for taking this on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, As the introduction that uh, we have given you here indicates, you are, of course, uh, highly, highly respected and, uh, you know, highly qualified uh, 
a foreign officer, someone who has worked at the highest office of, you know, of, of foreign policy, as far as foreign policy is concerned, you worked as a former ambassador of Canada to um, a particular country, and that, of course, is China, um, for a number of years. And even before then, you had been with a foreign office. So we're so privileged to have someone with your level of experience, with the your level of knowledge on all issues diplomat diplomacy on all issues foreign relations on this podcast to to kind of shine more light and highlight for us some of the things that we should know that happening between Canada and and other parts of the world as far as foreign relations is concerned but also um it, it will also kind of maybe give us a taste or a bit of a, a knowledge of what goes on between nations because it's it's yes Canada has the foreign relations with other countries but that's how it happens in bilateral uh, relationships or bi bilateral relationships between nations so uh just to start off uh, David I would like to know oh Matt and I would like to know and I'm sure our listeners would like to know as well what exactly is the situation of Canada now when it comes to foreign aid especially foreign aid to the developing world, to de developing countries? Canada, under our current government, has what they refer to as a feminist foreign policy. So what the government has said is, there's nothing in the world that can surprise us. We're prepared for everything. We're going to decide what foreign policy we share with the world. Normally, countries use their foreign policy for defense or to ensure their um, prosperity and their well-being. But we're saying, we know all that already. This is what the world is getting from us and you better be ready for it. And what that is really centered on is within foreign policy is feminist development assistance. So the aid dollars that Canada gives are gonna be defined as being feminist. And what that means is they're largely going to go to promote abortion in the developing world. And that mainly means Africa. So uh, Canada is on uh, send, not receive. We're telling Africa, we know what you need. What you need is uh, birth control and abortion. And we're giving you a lot of money. And we're working with the big abortion giants, Planned Parenthood, et cetera, uh, to deliver it to you. Wow. So what I'm hearing now is just something that is almost um, in opposition or almost contradictory to the position of Canada a couple of years ago. By the time I started looking into things that have to do with foreign aid, foreign relations, um, the aid, especially coming to African countries, how I saw Canada at the time, you know, just after 2010, there about 2012, 2013, when I was, when I started looking into these things and paying more attention to them, was that Canadian government at that time had this thing called the Muskoka Initiative. So for me, coming from an African country, I had absolutely no idea what this Muskoka Initiative was, but the little I knew about it at the time, I was quite impressed by it. So can you sort of give us an overview of what the, the Muskoka Initiative is, how when it started and, and what it looks like today? That's a, that's a really good question, Uju. And it gets down to uh, uh, some confusion around the use of language and it's intentional confusion around the, the use of language. Way back in 2006, I was serving as the uh, foreign and defense uh, policy advisor to the prime minister. That's not a partisan job. I wasn't uh, 
political official. It's a job in the public service where you you provide advice uh, to the to the prime minister. And one of his staffers, and they, they're already starting to think about this. They were elected just the year before. One of the staffers called me up and said, "Hey, David, can you explain what our people at the UN are doing?" when we talk about, they, they keep talking about reproductive health, but we can't find out what they mean by that. What, what does it mean? So I called up our officials at the UN and I said, look, Prime Minister and his new officials uh, want a, a, an explanation, a briefing on what you mean by reproductive health. And I got a lot of scurrying and half answers and we'll get back to you, but I could tell that uh, they were stalling. And what I came to discover is that they were working very contentedly with uh, their American counterparts, their British counterparts, their Australian counterparts, their Dutch counterparts, on a foreign policy that was actually created by UN officials, not by the Canadian government as elected by the Canadian people. And you know, one of the values of the Canadian public service is the democratic value. We respond to the democratic will of the Canadian people. And even if you personally liked something, liked another policy, if the government changes and the policy changes, you either change with it or you resign. You don't seek to quietly undermine it. And this is precisely what was happening. So I had to go back yeah. and explain, it really means abortion, what we're doing now. This is reproductive health for our folks means abortion. And you could tell that they thought about this. They listened to Canadians, that the government did. And in 2010, Canada hosted the G8 meeting. That's the meeting of the eight largest economies in, in the world. It's now the G7 because fortunately Russia has been kicked out. Um, but the G8 met in Muskoka, which is a beautiful cottage area north of Toronto. And right. usually the host government has a, a, a policy initiative that it launches there. And the policy initiative launched by our government was called the Muskoka Initiative, and it focused on maternal, newborn, and child health. So the government wow. had begun to see that there's a difference between reproductive health, which is really abortion, and actually helping mothers, helping newborns, helping children. And was there some controversy around that? Yeah, people who were for abortion in Canada said, hey, where's the abortion? But even pro-abortion people looked at this and said, it's a pretty darn good initiative in terms of the problems it's addressing. And the feedback, and you were referencing this, the feedback we got from our partners in the developing world was, yeah, this is what we need when it comes to helping um, newborn mums, helping babies, ensuring that there are you know, inoculations, ensuring that childhood diseases are combat, ensuring that there's clean drinking water, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so it went forward. And in 2014, the government invested yet more money in this. It was uh, a, something that was radically different in terms of uh, Western countries. And as I say, while the liberals were the, the opposite, they were then in opposition, were uh, attacking it because it didn't include abortion, it was getting an appreciative look from people in the know who said, this is doing some real good. Now, uh, what happens is elections come and go, the Liberals were then elected, and we lost that focus, and the focus went entirely on um, this uh, feminist international assistance, away from um, the focus on helping mothers and their children. And that's that's the situation we're in now, and it's a very sad situation. And to be, you know, most cynical about this, it's cloaked under the the rhetoric of reproductive health. So people hear people hear it and they think it has something to do with uh, saving people. Exactly. It's quite the opposite. 
That's a shame. And you know, David, during during those uh, those critical years of the Muskoka Initiative, I remember going to that um, that summit on maternal, newborn, and child health uh, in 2014, which was uh, you know four years after the Muskoka Initiative was launched. Uh, there was already a lot of praise around the world, uh, like you said. The G8 countries all supported it. Uh, the United Nations supported it. Uh, however, all throughout this, all throughout these years, uh, the partners and the stakeholders that were involved were the usual players. The you know the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, the various UN agencies, UNFPA, and all these other women's rights organizations, which were uh, essentially for, for the whole duration of this initiative, were criticizing the Harper government. And we're calling uh, for abortion to be included in it. Okay. So what happened to these organizations when, so the elections came, uh, the liberals were elected, uh, Justin Trudeau became the prime minister of Canada. And now you have all these organizations who have been part of the process for all these, for all these years. And now they finally have a prime minister who thinks like they do. So what, happened in that situation and what does happen usually when an election happens the pendulum swings and it's a completely new government uh, and so these organizations what did they do well these organizations suddenly discovered that not only did they have a friend but they had a major funder and yes. so uh the the dollars began to flow not by the way directly to africa but to uh the united states and the uk and other places that are home to these major providers of abortion. It's the, the, the big three, essentially. And uh, you, you had a, a kind of a policy coherence. It was hard to hear, figure out where the government of Canada ended in, for example, International Planned Parenthood, uh, or as it was then known, Marie Stopes International uh, began. And so it was a very close relationship. Also in that, as you say, are, are organizations like the Gates Foundation. So uh, in a way, it, it, it it didn't so much involve Canadians and Canadian voters and, and Canadian interest groups. It was a it was this international uh, you know collaboration whose main objective is to visit abortion on places that have indicated through their polling, through their elections, through their media uh, that abortion is not part of their culture and abortion is not wanted. We were listening. We chose to listen to um, the big abortion providers and to and to fund them and not listen, go out of our way not to listen to the voices that were coming from Africa telling us that this was uh, completely inappropriate, that it was disregarding uh, the views and the wishes of the African people, and that it, in many ways it, it went exactly against the fundamental principles that make up good development, and that is to listen. Remember okay. I talked earlier about us going into broadcast mode. When you're in broadcast mode, you're not listening, and we haven't been listening since 2015. That's right. You haven't been listening since 2015. And what I've noticed is like, it just seems to me that there's so much funding, so much money, taxpayers' money going into these extensive and expensive, you know, policies and, and programs and projects. So I wonder what sort of money, because the thing is, anybody listening now who is a, a taxpayer, 
in Canada or even any other Western country with a similar position. This is what people need to know. This is not just about Canada. What you're talking about, yes, a lot of specifics about Canada, but it's similar to what is being played out uh, in many other countries that have similar positions with Trudeau. So I wonder what sort of funding that taxpayers should know that they their money, how much of their money or the sorts of money going into these uh, projects. I just wonder. Well, I'm going to ask for Matt's assistance here, but it is the, the numbers are, are mind boggling. And it, you know, you, you start looking at hundreds of millions of dollars. And then soon as you look at a multi-year program, you're into billions of dollars. Am I right there, mm -hmm. Matt? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So shortly after Justin Trudeau was elected, um, he decided to um, increase funding to about $650 million per year towards, um, you know, so, uh, sexual reproductive health and rights, which is, again, an umbrella term for abortion on demand and, and sterilization and, and, and birth control and whatnot. And then when, uh, David, you mentioned the feminist foreign policy. So when the feminist international assistance policy came into effect just a few years ago, uh, the, the Trudeau Liberals decided to um, uh, increase the funding to $700 million starting in 2023 per year, all the way up until 2030, uh, in line with the whole UN 2030 agenda. Uh, so we're looking at uh, billions of dollars, which are oh earmarked goodness. earmarked specifically for uh, for essentially what you mentioned, David, essentially handing over millions of dollars and billions of dollars to all these pro-abortion organizations, which then do all of the dirty deeds on the ground in all these countries, right? Is that, is that, is that really how it happens, David? Can you confirm that when we give money, it's not like uh, the Trudeau liberals are, or the government is giving money to other Canadian entities and Canadian doctors. No, it's, we're just funneling money to all these other multinational million dollar organizations and they kind of take the money and what do they do with it? it, it you're right. It, it's, it's money by cutting checks. Then those checks go to California, they go to London uh, and then they run it through their programs. Uh, they on the ground are already in full promotional mode. Uh, it makes it harder, for example, to, monitor how effectively um, the money has been spent. And Ujo, I know you have spoken uh, very, in very compelling way about some of the hideous problems that we see on the ground that we're contributing to because we don't have that direct hand on things. And we don't have a, a, a local partner that we trust uh, to deliver it effectively for the, you know, for, for, to ensure that the health of mothers and their babies uh, are, are protected. Wow, David, this is, for, for me, honestly, this is mind boggling because yes, as you mentioned, I have been speaking on these issues, um, but from the African perspective, from what I've noticed as an outsider looking at the numbers, following the trail of things, looking at the changes that have occurred in Canada since Justin Trudeau came into office and, and in some other countries also, what happened when their governments changed and became more like the ally to these uh, ideological ideologically driven projects and organizations but the the it's so so much more painful listening to someone like yourself an insider someone who has worked in the foreign office someone who has served 
your country at those very critical offices that what we're talking about, these are not just, these are not conspiracy theories. These are things that are happening out in government offices at points of power, the highest points of power at places where uh, the, you know, people are taking very important decisions that are affecting entire nations, entire communities out there in the developing world. And in my own case, particularly African country, uh, African countries. Uh, but a, a couple of, a few years ago, it's not been that long, actually. Um, both of us, you and I had gone through um, some of these things in a particular video that was uh, that was very, uh, um, let's say, very well made uh, by Campaign Life Coalition. Campaign Life Coalition had invited both of us to, to sit down and discuss some of these issues. Um, and that discussion is on YouTube and hopefully, Matt, we're going to put it in our show notes today. Um, the video was called Obsessed, this particular 90-minute discussion that you and I had. And the one thing that came up in that discussion that I myself, you know, I came in to discuss with you, but I, I, I left that discussion learning things myself as well, was this term called the diploma, the coercive diplomacy coercive diplomacy. So I went away, you know, having one extra term uh, with which to, to explain things to people. So I would like you to explain to our listeners what exactly is coercive diplomacy and also to direct people to try and watch the 90-minute conversation that, I, uh, that we had, which I absolutely think was uh, uh, quite informative and uh, full of very shocking details of what's going on. Well, Uju, thank you for um, reminding listeners uh, of the availability of that podcast, because it was a, a real uh, pleasure for me and an honor to uh, work on it with you, particularly because here in Canada, uh, the media has really invested in the story that we are the champions of Africa and we're saving African women. They are not quick to do investigative journalism or uh, report on some of the scandals associated with the misuse of funding going into a variety of African countries. So the resources available to talk about the other side of this story, uh, you know, they're, they're few and far between. As to coercive diplomacy, if you asked a Canadian these days, that Canadian would say, well, I think coercive diplomacy is what China is doing and, 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 and they'd be right. Uh, you know, we worry about coercive relationship or diplomacy by Russia, by China, interfering in Canadian elections, uh, interfering in Canadian diaspora communities, uh, through their embassies and consulates, all true. But yes. the painful reality, and, and I had it, it hurt me to talk about this on our podcast or that the, the we, we did a few years ago, is that Canada engages in coercive diplomacy. We're using our, our financial resources. And, and by the way, it's not as if Canada has invested in our own infrastructure or in, in our own, we're, the money we're spending, we could also use in Canada instead of misspending it in, in Africa. Exactly. But, uh, but um, we're using this uh, quite consciously to say we are going to overturn uh, the consensus in Africa, where there is a democratic decision to do one thing, we're going to challenge that with our money and maybe with our support of politicians in Africa who aren't so fussy about how they get their money. And, you know, we're going to we're going to change the conversation instead of saying, the first thing we're going to do is, is listen and learn from uh, how people in Africa see these issues. So yes. uh, coercive diplomacy in our case is about using money to change, to try to change the consensus, change the 
uh, the laws, regulations, and customs of culture we know nothing about. And it's profoundly disrespectful. And it's a commitment to remain ignorant about something we, we should better understand. Because when it comes to a culture of life, we should be learning from Africa, not dictating to them. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's quite shocking. Absolutely accurate. You know, David, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I, well, as you're speaking, uh, this memo came to mind. Uh, I remember seeing this government memo uh, from, oh, geez, I forgot what year it was. Maybe it was 2014, 15, 16. It's when the, the, the Trudeau government, you know, when they started uh, uh, ensuring that abortion is part of, is at the core of their foreign policy and whatnot. And there was a memo uh, that came out uh, listing or highlighting some of the priorities of the, of the funding. Okay, and one of the bullet points was uh, it, it said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, this funding will go to towards removing legal and social barriers in countries that you know haven't uh, yet uh, welcomed or adopted you know sexual and reproductive health and all this and rights and and all this other uh, and all these other terms. And I thought to myself when I first set, read that, I was like. I couldn't believe my eyes. I can't believe they're actually <laughs> saying that they're they're going to be using money to yeah. liberalize laws in other countries on, on, on the issue of abortion or just to change laws, first and foremost. Can you speak to that? It, it, it's incredible, Matt, because as you know, and, and Uju, I think you've been following this too, there's a very painful discussion in Canada about the subject of what are called residential schools where uh, young children from Aboriginal communities were educated in schools that were funded by the federal government and often run by the churches. Uh, yeah. And the criticism is that they, they lost touch with their culture, uh, that they were forced to assimilate into uh, a foreign uh, European or Western culture. And there's a lot of truth to that, a lot of pain and a lot of things that we're, we're learning. But what are we doing? We're going into Africa and and, and spending money to change their culture. We've learned nothing. If we exactly. practiced ideological colonialism, if we were colonial in respect to our, our own indigenous peoples because we uh, didn't listen to them, we didn't care about their own backgrounds, we imposed a different background on them, how can we be doing the same thing in Africa? It, it's exactly the same thing, yet we're blind to it. And we're blithely spending this money in a really, and when you listen to Canadian politicians speak, and I've, I've listened to some of the, the meetings of committees, there's a real arrogance there. It, and it's quite shocking. It, it, there's a tremendous arrogance that always, always to me indicates um, a degree of ignorance as well. So um, we're just blind to this, we're smug, uh, and we're spending money uh, in ways that are not helpful to Africa, but are injurious to African culture and to African people. And I um, think, and I think, sorry, Uju, if I could just add. That's okay, yeah. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in resources, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's yeah. not just about funding these organizations that, uh, you know, these pro-abortion organizations, but some of them are also dealing with education. So they are literally... Uh, engaging in like a, a new form of residential schools in some of these African countries where they are pumping these uh, these organizations with so much money that then they go into these schools in remote areas and villages and towns outside of the larger cities throughout the continent. And they are uh, indoctrinating a new generation of African young people 
to start adopting and embracing these values, which have nothing to do with their own cultural and traditional values. Is yeah, that yeah, right? Matt. I think, Uju, yeah, you, yeah. you, you've, done, you've done some research on that as well. And you've seen examples where these organizations come into these uh, these smaller smaller town schools, yeah, and they're just they're just unleashing all this evil on these children. Precisely, uh, there was some program in Ethiopia a couple of years ago, which I think that program might still be running now, which was uh, sponsored by your own uh, Canadian International Aid Agency, uh, the your organization that deals with the international development paid for by the Canadian government, of course, because it is a Canadian government agency. Uh, they were sponsoring some children in Ethiopia uh, to be able to access, quote unquote, adolescent friendly uh, family planning. So which in and of itself sounds like an oxymoron. Children should not be subjected to family planning, if you see what I mean. These are children, adolescent friendly uh, programs that were also linked somehow, believe it or not, to nutrition. So in other words, reading this government document from your government website, you would see a program that is very um, that is very targeted towards uh, Ethiopian adolescent, mostly girls. And it has to do with uh, spreading this idea of family, adolescent friendly family planning among kids, uh, but it's also going with food. So they're taking food into schools in other words, they're trying to give children food, but at the same time, they are trying to spread this idea of adolescent-friendly family, so-called adolescent-friendly family planning. And even reading that memo from, from your government website, you would see that even the children who are not able to access education, they're still, they're still thinking of ways to be able to get access to these kids. So the Canadian government with the taxpayers' uh, dollars, you know, the Canadian taxpayers' dollars, they are going into Ethiopia and what they are most interested in is trying to spread certain ideas and ideologies to children, irrespective of whether they're in school or not. So it's very painful. It bears the, the Canadian uh, stamp because it's something that the Canadian government had committed to paying for for a number of years, but it's also in, in collaboration with UNICEF. So we've seen it on ground, Matt, where it, what it actually looks like on ground, I guess, when you bring in things like the so-called feminist um, policy. But David, honestly, these things that you're telling us, uh, I think it's really, really crushing and very sobering and something I think people should be thinking about on both the Canadian side as well as the African side of things, as well as those who are not Canadians and not Africans, but who also in their countries have reason to be concerned because maybe their leaders are in line with, uh, ideologically, in line with uh, someone like Justin Trudeau and his administration. In our discussion uh, in Obsessed, that video that we had a, a few years ago, having this 90, wonderful 90-minute discussion, informative 90-minute discussion, you said something that struck me. You, you actually described the qualities of good foreign aid. And I, I just thought, oh, I copied it down and said, oh, I'm going to kind of bring it up because you said good, good foreign aid, what it looks like, it listens, it is humble, and also it should be transitional. So can you kind of touch on that? What good foreign, what makes up good foreign aid? from well, a Western country. I, I picked those words because, uh, first of all, you can't do anything if you're not listening. Right? You, you, you can't assume that you understand um, what's going on in another country. And if you're trying to help the country, 
why in the world wouldn't you listen to the problem? That's what a doctor does, right? He, he or she listens to uh, the, the, the patient before deciding on the treatment. And the That's treatment, right. in, in, but in the case of foreign aid, the treatment also has to go with the permission of the patient, of the, of the partner, and um, it needs to be respectful of the partner's values and, and, and culture. And it, it will be a complete failure if it isn't. The other thing you're trying to do is not to establish a culture of dependency, where it can be very easy to assume that this money will be flowing forever so we can spend money on other things, et cetera. The idea is, and, and you've spoken eloquently about this, Uju, when you talk about um, fair trade policies in Africa. You know, why don't you look at whether you're um, putting African companies out of business? Maybe that's, that's the best right. aid. You, They need to have the money and to build a, a, a stable, healthy economy. So you've got to get in there and be helpful, but every day you're working yourself out of a job because that's not your job to be there. It's a job of you know African officials, African entrepreneurs. You have to be um, thinking about that all the time. Yet we seem to be just focused on this, Matt, you talked about how long we're going to be spending this money. I don't think that's because we consulted um, African officials. It sounds a little bit like you know election cycles in Canada that are driving this. And just one other thing, would you all remember from uh, when we did our, our film together, uh, some of the materials you sent in, one of them was a little filmette, uh, which uh, we we were sponsoring, which had to do with a, a, a woman who was in a shop and having marital difficulties. And it seemed to kind of be promoting the idea that she might just have an affair, that that's the way to solve your, your problems. It was kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah. Many of our programs target uh, the family and they target stable uh, marital relationships. And if you want to influence a society, uh, break up its most fu fundamental institutions, shake them up. That's uh, true. Have young children off on their own, uh, susceptible to, because all children and young people are susceptible to influence. The influence should be from their family, from their community, from their church, uh, not from a foreign government. Um, but there's something uh, to me very unsettling about the extent to which we're also looking at, at disrupting uh, what has made uh, society in, in African, various African countries, stable and cohesive, because that's, if you want to influence, you break up the other influences. And I think we're to an extent guilty of that too. And, I, and I'm ashamed of that. That's terrible. Yeah, that's, um, you know, so, you know, so goes the family, so goes everything else, right? That's <laughs> and true. I, I, and it seems like, um, you know, David, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I my the the one question I have is why? Why are we doing this? Why is the Canadian government so obsessed uh, with breaking down the family, with influencing the cultures and traditions of other countries, with changing public opinion in other countries about these specific things? We're not talking about, you know, let how how can we become better stewards of of uh, of agriculture or how can we provide more water or how can we, try to fight for, uh, you know, solutions to real problems and try to find remedies to illnesses and diseases. It's it's like we should all be trying to help each other out with these good endeavors. But for some reason, it's like our government is obsessed with abortion and with population control. And only that a few years ago, they would, you know, they would have uh, different foreign policy programs and a lot of them did a lot of good things and they would kind of squeeze in some of the abortion language in there but fast forward you know eight years now into Trudeau's administration 
And like you mentioned, they're just completely arrogant. They don't even hide their intentions anymore. They just, they do a press conference about them. They put out press releases. This is what we're going to do, you know? So the question is why? Why are they doing this? And and it's not just like Uju said, it's not just limited to Justin Trudeau, but there are so many governments, including the current American administration and the EU that are pushing this. Why? My opinion is that... Um... We have a, a fake foreign policy, and within our fake foreign policy, we have a fake international assistance policy. I say fake because it's not about shaping Canada's position in the world, nor is it about essentially helping um, women in Africa. It's about how it sounds in Canada. And to be very blunt, I don't think they care about the problems that this visits on our partners in Africa. It sounds really good. They can make a really um, dramatic uh, video for their followers, for the base, the electoral yes. base. And uh, if, if they really cared about that, they would do some soul searching. They'd be perpetually uh, asking questions about, is this the right thing? They'd be seeking a, a diversity, a variety of, of African voices. They're not doing that. And this, this is part of our larger foreign policy. Now, What's happening, of course, is, and, and things are changing even since we last spoke, that people are beginning to figure this out about Canada. Uh, just as the prime minister's not all that popular in Canada anymore, he's not all that popular internationally. He, he used to be feted and, and people would see in his you know, uh, exotic socks and things like that and think that <laughs> this, was, this was someone to be reckoned with. But the fact is Canada talks, but we don't deliver. And we're not included in the discussions we used to be included in. We used to be a country that was known for the ideas it would bring to the table. We might not have huge resources, but we had good ideas. Our diplomats could convince and find ways to make the world a better place. Now we're talkers. You don't get ideas if you don't listen. And we haven't been listening. And my colleagues in the Foreign Service are so worried about you know, having the right tweets and having the right flags flying from the embassy and the right posters up that they're not getting out into the world and figuring out things that Canada needs to know about what's happening in the world, how it relates to Canada, how we can make partnerships to make Canada and the world better. We're just too busy talking and talking to ourselves. You know, David, um, I uh, so it, it's clear that Canada's reputation on the world stage is nothing like what it was or what it used to be. And I know from my own experience, uh, uh, going to different UN uh, meetings and commissions, and uh, I was just at an event at, uh, at uh, the General Assembly of the Organization for American States a few months ago. Uh, and I've noticed myself, when I approach uh, a delegate or a, uh, uh, a representative from another, from a, from another country, uh, let's say from an African country, and I just introduce myself as, I'm Matthew. I'm from uh, an organization from Canada. And I just say the word Canada right away. And this is this this has happened to me many times. All of a sudden, it's like they were smiling at first when he first met me. And now it's like they're taking a step back right away. Danger. <laughs> danger, danger. Like there's like a red danger. flag, red flag. This person doesn't really care about me. They don't want to know what I'm, you know, what I'm thinking about, what my thoughts are. They probably want to impose on me you know, whatever Justin Trudeau told me to impose. And then I always find myself having to like, no, 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 hold on. <laughs> and I got to sell them. Like, I got to sell myself. Like, I'm, I'm pro-life. I'm with you. I believe in what you believe in. Don't walk away. And, 
you know, we kind of laugh, it, but this is tragic. This it, is tragic. You know, it, one of the things now that's drawing uh, international concern and, and criticism, uh, and it's part of the culture of death that includes abortion, is at the other end of life, Canada has become one of the most enthusiastic countries about euthanasia. We euphemistically call it medical assistance in dying, which actually confuses people. Um, but uh, our rates of uh, euthanasia in Canadian provinces are skyrocketing. And, and, and the growth in the number of people who are choosing this um, is, is, is phenomenal. And in fact, health agencies are actually promoting it. And we're beginning to see cases where the poor and the vulnerable and the indigent are, are have this promoted to them. And I, I know I was hearing a, a testimony from one older woman who has had disability problems all her life, but she's still, you know, it's not life-threatening. She won't go into the hospital uh, without an advocate and someone who can can help her. So um, this, all these things coming out of Canada seem unsettling. Uh, they seem worrying. It's not just that we're woke and you know we're, we're prone to, to boasting and and, and uh, self-promoting. It's something is is going wrong in our country, and I know Canadians feel it, but it's not just Canadians anymore. Yeah, and I feel like once um, you know the pendulum swings again, as it always does, and uh, and that we have a new prime minister, a new uh, political party in government. I think the work of this next government and the next leader, the next prime minister will be, uh, they got their work cut out for them. Just just looking at trying to rebuild Canada's place in the world uh, is going to be a huge undertaking because of what Justin Trudeau has done. And, you know, I, I'm just thinking now, Uju, uh, you mentioned when you first got involved, you, you learned about the Muskoka Initiative and you were kind yeah. of uh, uh, optimistic. Wow, this is really great. It's coming from Canada. And, yeah. and that, and at that time, that's when we also met. So I'm not actually, I, you know, you actually were willing to speak to me when, because when I told you I'm from Canada. But now, <laughs> let's say we were to meet today, and I approach yeah. you saying, "Hey, Uju, I'm, I'm Matt. I'm from Canada. What would your response be today?" <laughs> I would just be remembering the feminist foreign policy, you know, because it's, it's. I think it's been hugely marketed as, as this thing that Canadians should be proud of, or something that should, uh, you know it's now like almost like an identifier for Canadians. Anybody who knows what is going on on the international stage, once you hear Canada, the first thing I, I at least personally that I'll think of is Justin Trudeau's feminist foreign policy. All those women who are going out, his foreign ministers and all who are going out and selling this, these new policies on his behalf. Um, the kind of speeches that he has made at, at places like uh, the Women Deliver Conference and, and, and all whatnot. So Canada has got quite a reputation. So Matt, if I had met you today, I don't know that I'll be talking to you, you know, like, <laughs> because the Canadians have had this reputation as the good guys, you know, of growing up in Africa, you know, looking at the West as the bigger picture. Like we, we look at the West and we see, wow, the Americans, wow, the Canadians, the British. So for me, I think the Canadians were the ones that are always tagged as the nice ones, the kind ones, the humble ones. You know, you're not loud, you're not, you're not brash. You know, the Canadians have always been very nicely thought of. And of course, when the Muskoka Initiative um, 
came out and, and we started seeing the implications of it and how it was an initiative that really cared about delivering real aid to the women who need it most in the developing world, um, trying to, to you know, improve maternal health outcomes and, and all whatnot. It, it gave me even more of a confidence in the Canadian government, in the Canadian people. It gave me more gratitude towards, the, you know, made me more grateful towards the Canadians. So, Matt, honestly, uh, the if I meet a Canadian today, I will already be thinking, wow, all they care about is their own ideas, their own ideologies, because the whole feminist policy it is foreign to us, you know, it, it, when it comes towards governments, like African governments, it is very foreign. And it doesn't mean that the African women, you know, are uh, 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 all in the kitchen and having babies and we were not in, in professional life. A lot of African women, you know, we get educated these days. We're in universities. I know I had prof women professors when I was in university. I know women in African countries who are judges and doctors and, and we are pursuing everything that people think um, women have to pursue in order to get everything they want. But we're also very focused on the family. And it's very family is very important to the African woman. Marriage is very important to the African woman. Motherhood is most important to the African woman. So we want to hold these two you know, these two parts of society, which is making a home, but also going out there in professional life and, and trying to soften that professional life and bringing the, the feminine touch to the professional settings of schools and hospitals. We, we need women in all those places. So the Canadians... Um, foreign policy, this feminist policy is very foreign to us because when we know when it comes from the West, when they say feminist policy, they're talking about highly ideological issues, not motherhood, uh, not family, you know, making women happier within family settings. They're talking about things like abortion, sexual and reproductive health and rights, you know, uh, sexual identity and orientation and, and all whatnot. So we know what it means and the fact that the Canadians have now turned all that ideology, all those ideologies into a foreign policy is very unfortunate and, and very tragic. And for me as an African woman, I look at it and I feel that the Canadians have become about one of the most arrogant countries out there when it comes to their international relations with other people. Well, thank you for that, Uju. I, I believe David and, um, and I uh, don't feel so well right now <laughs> after you've just criticized uh, uh, Canadians. Like, no, no. Truth hurts. Truth hurts. The, tr the truth hurts. This is who we have been represented by on the world stage for the last eight years. And and I think Canadians need to be aware of this. And, and you know, David, yeah. I'm going to just uh, add one more thing. In a previous episode, Uju and I talked about just the um, uh, the opinions of Canadians and, you know, uh, less than 10% of Canadians and most polls show this less than 10% of Canadians are opposed to abortion completely. No, no, you know, no exceptions, right? Which is we're in the minority, at least I am, we're, we're in the minority here in Canada. However, when you poll them on funding issues, okay, an yeah. overwhelming majority disagrees with the current status quo of abortion funding on like, so funding abortion on demand in Canada and abroad. Okay. So clearly, uh, even Justin Trudeau isn't his government isn't just not aligned with the rest of the world. He's not aligned with Canadians <laughs> on this particular issue of abortion funding. So what can Canadians do? How can we respond? OK, you've given them a lot to think about today, David. And and what what should we be telling our family members, our friends uh, at the dinner table? How should we be talking about this? 
because if we don't talk about the funding element of abortion, uh, then, you know, that's a huge component of it. And we need to talk about it. Well, you're absolutely right. And and that's why, you know, it's sort of diabolical to mask this under the heading of reproductive health is to mask the reality of where our tax dollars are going. And so talking about this, doing things like this podcast, using social media, talking to your member of parliament, uh, raising this issue in you know community meetings, and encouraging the media itself. It would help an awful lot if we had a media that was uh, more balanced and more willing to write uh, critically about these things. But un unfortunately, it's very, very rare. But that doesn't mean that voices aren't important. Um, I remember uh, when I served in, in China, uh, the German ambassador was a very good guy. And, and um, we were talking about how could we possibly help human rights um, supporters who were languishing in, in Chinese jail. And I said, you know, we, we do these things, we go to visit and we, we do what we can. But literally, I, I sometimes feel that it's futile. And he said, um, I used to send uh, a card to a um, human rights champion in jail every year. He said, and I wondered, if I'm sending this person a card, uh, what good can it do? And when he got out, he came to me and said, that card was like a candle in the dark. It was wow. a sign that someone cared. So we can be candles in the dark. We can keep talking because the way we'll lose this is if people are so discouraged that they stop talking. So what you and Uju are doing is tremendously important and I applaud it. And um, I, I really look forward to, uh, you know, what you'll be, where you'll be going on your podcast. We just need more of the same. And that, that's, a, and, and so Canadians uh, across the country, church groups in particular need to hear this and keep going. Yeah. Wonderful. Wow. So Matt, we're sending our cards to people in jail. <laughs> we're so, so grateful. To, it's, it's nice and encouraging to hear it from, you know, from this perspective, you know, because sometimes we're doing something like podcasts and you think, well, it's only a podcast, but then this podcast might get to someone who really needs to hear it. If, and, if you, you know. change one heart, like one yeah. heart, that that's incredible. And you'll be doing more than that. I must apologize. I'm going to have to, to run. But I had one question that was not answered. When is Uju coming it. back to Canada? <laughs> <laughs> Matt has not invited me back. Oh so what, what I, I, believe, I believe the answer is when, when Matt invites, when Camping Life Coach and invites Uju back to Canada. So it's going to happen sooner or sooner than later. Uh, uh, David, uh, we can't. I know we know you have to run. You're a busy man, even though you're retired from uh, diplomatic relations. Uh, you're still quite vocal. You're still very involved. Uh, and uh, where can people uh, follow you? Like, I know you're active on Twitter. So uh, yeah. if you can just let people know what your Twitter handle is. And um, and yeah, and uh, and then we can take it from there. So my, my Twitter handle is at david.mulroney. No, that's very original. Uh, just like... <laughs> very, I, I labored over that one. <laughs> that's right. And, so and that's... also just one more thing, Matt. I don't know if people know, but David has a book that has been out, I think, since 2016, Middle Power, Middle Kingdom. If you want to know about uh, the uh, international relations between Canada and China. So I know Matt is not much for reading books and all, but <laughs> but David, you have this excellent book. And I think just from everything I've read about it. It has been very well acclaimed for those who want to know about diplomacy, those who are interested in foreign affairs. Thank you for writing Middle Power, Middle Kingdom. And I think people can find it on Amazon because, yes, I saw it there even today. Well, that's very kind of you. And um, I wanted to tell people 
a little bit of what it's like to be in the Foreign Service, what the Foreign Service does. And I talked about my own life in government and, and uh, my life as a, as a religious believer as well. Um, I might need to need, write a new book because I think life in government is becoming even tougher for religious believers, but maybe that can wow. be for another show. That's it. <laughs> so right, right, right. we can come back. <laughs> Uju, Uju David has just committed to another uh, show. So uh, let's let's write this down. We'll, we'll schedule it in. Um, David, uh, I, I really do look up to you. Uh, I think you're um, you're just such a much uh, such a needed voice in, in, in the Canadian world and Canadian politics today. Uh, and uh, I'm just uh, so grateful that you never shy away from your core values, your beliefs, and um, and you speak the truth. And I think that's probably the best thing anyone could do in today's world, especially living in Canada as a Canadian. So, um, David, thank you so much for being on our show. Uh, any thank final you. comments? Any final comments, David? No, just to, to say I, I enjoy this so much and it gives fills me with a lot of encouragement to speak with both of you and um, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very much. And uh, God bless, you. David. Take care. God bless. Take care. God bless you. Thanks, David. Thank you. Man, oh man, David Moroni, what a guy. I just, uh, I'm so happy he was here with us today. Yeah, and he's a guy that I think everyone, we, we certainly look up to him, Matt. I look up to the guy because in the years that I've known David, and I think it's been up to six years now that I've known David doing this work, I think he's such an impressive guy. Why? Because um, he's a man who, as he mentioned towards the end there, is a committed Christian. He's not afraid to talk about his faith. He's not a, a, he's not afraid to take a stance from the point of view of his faith. But also at the same time, he has been able to serve in such a high office as an ambassador, a Canadian ambassador um, to a major country like China. So that means that people should know that you can be a committed Christian and still be able to serve your country in the highest office without having to compromise your position, uh, but still being a, in, in an office of influence. So we need more people like David in, in positions of power. Definitely, definitely. So um, again, uh, be sure to follow him on Twitter at david.moroni. And he has a book as well, which we will include in the show notes uh, on our website of this podcast. And yeah. what else? Oh, yes, uh, we uh, have our website. So make sure to go to our website. We have a website. <laughs> FocusOnLifePodcast.com. And be sure to go to that website. Um, follow Uju at Obinuju on Twitter and on Instagram at Obinuju.ekeocha. Uh, again, I do not have a Twitter. I mean, I do have a Twitter account, but it's really <laughs> exciting. So uh, I will refer my online presence to Campaign Life Coalition. So please follow Campaign Life at Campaign Life on Twitter and um, stay connected. Uh, send us your emails. If you have any questions, any feedback, any comments, you can email us at focusedonlifepodcast at gmail.com. That's it. That's excellent. Let me just mention once again, the title of David's book is Middle Power, Middle Kingdom. And yes, you can find it on Amazon or, you, or probably some of the local um, uh, bookshops. So please um, have a look at the book, Middle Power, Middle Kingdom. So this is exciting, Matt. We are moving on with our episodes and we are having even guests now. So just, we, yeah. you know, we're, we're taking a, we're taking a, a nice stand on, uh, on this podcast journey. Um, so it's, we, uh, it's we exciting. Are, we are revolving. We've, we, our first <laughs> guest is officially behind us. We did it. <laughs> Uh, hopefully you all enjoyed today's show. We hope so as well. So um, 
I would just like, oh, I, I came up with a little line that I'll be, we'll be, we'll be going out with each episode. And that is really, dear friends, let's continue to stay focused on life. Focus, focus on life. Focus on life. Take care, everyone. God bless. Take care. God bless.